Welcome to the Faith for All podcast. This week, we are presenting a Faith for All discussion podcast, where members of Cross of Glory discuss a topic we find interesting, spiritually uplifting, or generally important. Today's topic of discussion is Dungeons and Dragons and God. Let's join the discussion. Hello, and welcome to another discussion episode of Faith for All. Tonight, we'll be discussing Dungeons and Dragons and God. I am Jeff Wanderson, your moderator and your dungeon master. So if everyone could introduce themselves. I'm Michael O'Malley. Um, I have a Dungeons and Dragons character named Galen. He's a half-elf ranger. And uh, yeah. I'm Jeff Nelson. I play a paladin elf character. And we have a great time with it. Hi, my name is Adam Berg. I play a half-elf warlock. Uh, love to use magic. <laughs> I'm Andy Morin, uh, possibly a familiar voice if you listen to the podcast. I uh, play a what am I? No, I am a gnome with uh, with sort of a Gaelic lilt to him. Um, uh, yeah, it's very enjoyable. Uh, my name is Todd Mazzera. I play a morally questionable halfling thief. I mean, rogue, sorry. <laughs> Hello, I'm Autumn McMeyer. I play Colby Jack, a gnome who's an urban druid, and my spouse Nix decided to play a bit more of a challenging character, a paladin that goes by Jack. Start out with a very basic question. What is Dungeons & Dragons? How would you explain it to someone who's never heard of it before? Dungeons and Dragons is a tabletop role-playing game where uh, a group of people, a group of participants contribute to telling a story that is led by a game master called a dungeon master in this case. Each of the participants uh, creates a character. Their characters will act upon the instructions or information provided by the game master. The game master kind of moves the story in a direction and each character, uh, each player I should say, is explains how their character would react to the situation. I mentioned nothing about dragons or dungeons. Yeah, there you go. Uh, one other thing about Dungeons and Dragons, uh, like the name suggests, it is a fantasy game, right? So, so yeah. it's chock full of goblins, dragons, evil things, elves, uh, gnomes, <laughs> uh, dwarves. It's got similarities to things like Lord of the Rings um, and, and similar fantasy stuff. Uh, except that this is, uh, this is one of those things where you can do team building, you can do individual game playing and you could uh you could do real evil things if that is your want it's a lot of fun it's a game where people come together they use their imagination their creativity to work together to solve puzzles to solve different um, things that come across them challenges if you will and it's interesting because as you are playing your characters some of your real life experiences come into play and sometimes they don't come into play because you are making things up on the go as you go on and it's fun to be part of that type of character as well where you're getting out of your comfort zone a little bit and you're just being able to be somebody who you aren't for a little while. Yeah, I think one of the other great things about it is you really get to customize your character from the way they look, the way they act, what type of character is, what kind of role they have in the party, what their attitudes and approaches to things are. So you can really run wild with it and have a good time. And sometimes 
those actions are not beneficial to the party, but they're in line with what your character would do or what you've established your character to be. So um, sometimes you get conflicts or you have to solve problems creatively because your character gets you into situations that, <laughs> that cause problems. Not sure if I can really add much, but I'll see if I can try. It's, uh, I think Mike hit on it a bit when it is that you can use it as a team building exercise. And uh, I think a lot of a lot of modern churches use the word fellowship uh, you know, when you're when you're interacting with other people, uh, you know, of a similar mind, you know, you, you call that fellowship. And you know, sometimes it's some people go to bars, some people ride motorcycles, some people, you know, hang out at church and study Bibles. Uh, I, I really think this is this is much more in my zone, where we we hang around and just you know, pretend and and shoot the breeze and enjoy each other's company. I kind of I kind of call it cooperative storytelling. That's always been my way of saying it. Very good words. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just saying yes because they're sucking up because they want experience points. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So who can tell me some good things, some positive things about Dungeons and Dragons? Interesting that you say that because I was thinking about that as we were heading into this on how it has been a positive effect in my life. As I look back, I have probably participated in four different Dungeons and Dragons groups over the years. And it goes back to when I was nine or 10. And in the neighborhood, we would play sports, we would play other games around the neighborhood, but Dungeons and Dragons came out in the late 80s, I mean, the late 70s, early 80s. And just a group of friends from the neighborhood jumped on it and for about three or four years. We played Dungeons and Dragons as part of the other gameplay that we did throughout the neighborhood. And it was pretty cool because we were able to see everybody in a different light, if you will, and people who were good at sports may not have been that great with the storytelling and the creativity, but people who were not 100% great with the sports, they were great with this aspect of what we came together for. So as the year went on, meaning sports in the summer, winter, what do we do? It really kept the group together, if you will. So that was interesting. And some of those friends, I still have friends today. And as I look back to now high school, we had the Dungeons and Dragons uh, group that we met at our high school too. So again, it was neat to find that group of people and I got involved in playing again. And then the third time was when I met a group right after college and Jeff invited me into that group and we played for a good eight to 10 years, starting with Dungeons and Dragons, but leading into other role playing games like Shadowrun and some other things too. And some of those guys we still hang around with too, which lifelong friends. And right now this group is the fourth group that I've come in contact with. And it's been great to have those kind of friends too and meet, meet these guys too. And what you mentioned before about fellowship, that's exa exactly what it is. It's a, uh, Time to get together, to hang out, have fun, get away from the world for a little while, and just get into another realm and just 
enjoy each other's company. Fun part about that is Jeff Casey. My experience with D&D is almost the exact opposite, which is really kind of cool. So this is only my second group I ever played with, but the first one being 38 years ago uh, in college. And we played it for a semester and a half, uh, one of the years I lived in a dorm. Um, it became, it was a lot of fun, so don't get me wrong, but it became just an excuse to drink too much. You know, so, so, you know, like a lot of other things after college, I never went with this. But the good thing is, I am an absolute convicted and tried and true science fiction fantasy geek, right? So when Jeff, uh, the other Jeff, started this about a year ago now, um, this became an easy decision to give it a shot. And plus my wife pushed me out of the house too. But it became a very <laughs> easy decision to, uh, to do it. I'm enjoying the heck out of it. I mean, it's, it, it is very cool. I. Almost, not quite, almost wish I did this once in a while over the last 38 years. But I'm doing it now. Yeah, what's good about D&D uh, for me? It's, it was one of the very first things that got me out of the house and actively doing something on a more consistent basis after the COVID pandemic. Uh, during that, I went through a lot of mental health issues where I just kind of shut myself off from the world. Just having a group of individuals that are all like-minded and here to have some fun has really been actually pretty beneficial for me. Sure. I agree with what everyone else has been saying too. And for me, I think as I look at like how I spend my day and what, you know, my, the type of job I have, and it's all on screens, it's all, everything is, you know, you've got a phone in front of you, you've got a screen in front of you, and this is a, a rare thing where that is not necessarily the case. Obviously you can play this using a, a laptop or a phone or whatever, and, and that's totally fine, but um, it's designed to be on paper and you've got a map in front of you and you know tokens for your character to move about so it's just a completely different mind shift from a lot of the other forms of entertainment that we have today so um, i think that's another good element of it yeah, one thing that uh, and, and i totally agree him and one thing that jeff number one said uh as there are two jeffs here uh but jeff number one pointed out that uh because i also experienced it first at high school for for me and um when it first rolled out the fact that my me personally uh, had never been a jock just that wasn't my thing i was not not good at football everybody in the neighborhood loved football not me um but i was really good at storytelling and, and hanging out and it was a chance to do something one that uh, exposed a different skill set and unlike games like football or baseball was not competitive it was cooperative it, it's always been a cooperative thing so you are working uh, a, a genuine fellowship a genuine you know togetherness uh, a brotherhood of sorts or uh, siblinghood with the people you're playing with uh, so it works out pretty well as a uh, an adult form of non-competitive fellowship we could say a fellowship yeah you could say fellowship right, let's go back to andy's original comment there sorry andy <laughs> by all means uh, you know without running the risk of just repeating ourselves endlessly I mean, yeah it's i think that word has connotations within the church but again it got used in everybody's favorite fantasy you know i think i haven't read enough to say it was never used in a religious context religious context prior to tolkien but you know here we are like you say the you know a group of a group of individuals together to embark on a quest is a fellowship that's I'm not sure that was the original definition, but that's that's the word. It's the, it's the, it's the word. It's the word they landed on for the book, right? It is so. now. <laughs> yes. 
No, I think my original exposure to, and I'm going to create a segue out of this. Okay. Uh, my original exposure to to uh, to D and D was in about 1986 or seven, when I was junior high, and you know, we were we were the honors kids. We were you know borderline outcast. You know, skinny, gawky. You know, not sporty. You know, I, I played sports, but I didn't win at sports. <laughs> I you know, ran cross country, which you know. Nobody wins cross country. You could, you could be first in the race, but that's not necessarily a winner. Um, so you know, we we got together, and you know, it, it was fun for a while. Uh, you know, I think with with junior high kids, it, it it actually becomes competitive again, and then you know, we sort of ended up hurting each other's feelings here and there, and then kind of broke up some of the friendships. And so I, then I never touched it again. But part of what got us into it, and I think. Like Mike said, said Mike had something. This Mike had said something uh, off mic before we started recording uh, about. Um, totally lost my thread. Mike said a lot of things. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't expect I can can't expect to get back on track from that particular clue. Well, that's where I'm headed. Is uh, that was kind of why we were looking for something edgy to do, and the fact that it had been in the news uh, that. You know, uh, there were aspects, you know, in the media who were telling us that this was an evil thing, this is a bad thing. Exactly, yeah, exactly. It had completely opened up the world to us. It's like, oh wait, now I hadn't heard of it, and it was like the you know the the, the media attention to it brought out you know brought it into the fore, and of course that uh, you know, what was in the media was that you know it was literally devil worship. And people were sacrificing animals and humans, you know, to be a part of it. And uh, we keep uh, there are there are cycles of that. It just it just keeps coming in history, where you know the next bad thing that imaginary they are doing is 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 destroying the fabric of our society. Yeah, for people who don't know, the Satanic Panic was in the eighties, and how it started in nineteen seventy nine. James Dallas Egbert the third who was 16 and college sophomore, vanished from his campus. Uh, his parents hired a very flamboyant detective named William Deere. And William Deere found evidence that he had been in the steam tunnels. And he, he Mr. E Mr. Uh, Egbert was in the steam tunnels and did try to commit suicide. Um, well, this detective also found Dungeons and Dragons stuff in his, in his dorm room. So that kind of, he said, oh, well, this is the reason he tried to commit suicide. Uh, the actual reason was he was dealing with his sexual identity and drug addiction. So unfortunately, he did manage to kill himself. He did shoot himself uh, in 1980. So I mean, it was only a year's reprieve that he had. But uh, the detective wrote a book called um, Dark, Dark Dungeons. And so that's what started the satanic panic when this detective said, well, this is the reason he committed his suicide because he was schizophrenic and lost himself in his character and it could happen to your kids. And uh, what year was that? Uh, 19, 1982, CBS, starring Tom Hanks, by the way, made a movie called uh, Mazes and Monsters, supposedly based on this book. Uh, it's it's I understand it's on streaming now. I kind of looked it up before we came, and it, it's apparently on one of the streaming services now. Sweet. <laughs> so, and I actually have a story about the Satanic Panic. It happened while I was in college. 
and we were playing Dungeons Dragons. I went to a, a kind of strict conservative Christian college. I'll leave the name out. Um, but we were playing there, and one of the women there claimed that we were that she walked in on us and we were sacrificing chickens. And none of us know where she got that idea from. So of course the administration got involved, and we had to talk with them. And I mean, we were all good kids, and they knew that, so they kind of like, well, you know, and they let the whole thing drop, and we kept playing Dungeons Dragons. She didn't like this, so she claimed now that we were uh, harassing her and leaving dead chickens on her porch. So, um, so I think a lot of the satanic panic was made up, at least from my experience. <laughs> yeah, I think that's definitely lies. It's made up. Yeah, I got some great stories too along those lines. I'll, I'll hold most of them back. Well, back when my first D&D group, this would have been in 1985, um, at, a, at a relatively local university, um, we had on our group, I hate to say this, a legit Satanist actually was part of our D&D group. And I can't for the life of me remember what his name was, but I can tell you what his nickname was. So to this day, we call him Chainsaw. That was his nickname for all these years. And he would he would say the, the most horrible stuff you could possibly imagine. All right, so this was going on for a number of months. And I uh, got to know the guy, and you know, he was pretty messed up. He had a bad home life, all this other nonsense. And then, you know, I, we had probably a similar conversation to this 30 some odd years ago about the PROC and, you know, all that type of gore nonsense and all the stuff that was going on with metal music back then. And, uh, this guy pretty much just, just came right up and said, yeah, I'm not a Satanist. I just do all this to be provocative and to get people to get stirred up. And I think that's what most of it was. You're absolutely right. It was, it was a bunch of BS. It was fun. It yeah. was a lot of fun. And, and TSR's earnings went way up during that. <laughs> I also think with most of anything, when people don't understand or they don't want to take the time to understand what something is about, then they feel threatened to some extent and they'll start making up things to maybe hurt the group, hurt the organization, hurt whatever is happening at the time. In this case, kids playing Dungeons and Dragons and instead of taking the time to learn about it, to get involved in their child's life, um, people think it's bad on, on the front and they'll do something to make it not sound like a good thing for kids to be doing. So I think that's part of it too. And I think we see that in today's society too with many things as well. Do you think that uh, when people, use the phrase, but demonize a, a particular activity or a particular group or whatever, that they're necessarily acting from their own internal motivations? Or do you think that there is some element of truth to it? Meaning, was there uh, beyond just this one isolated case and the Dark Dungeons book, were there cases of, uh, you know, some of the things that, that I read about about the um, satanic panic were uh, possibly child abuse uh, allegations, etc. I mean, do you feel that there could be some truth there and that's where the fear is being driven from? I think, yes, I, I think people could relate any type of activity to something that they want to say. If, if, if they don't, if they can't come to a logical, reasonable explanation for something. Yeah, I think you could fit any type of thing that's out there to meet their needs. 
And I think in this case, in many of the situations back then, Dungeons and Dragons was that thing that they're trying to explain something. In the, in your case, where you gave that example, yeah, I think um, that's what they were able to connect to it. So in their mind, yes, it was very legitimate, and for other people too, it was probably very legitimate too. I mean, again, we see it today. It comes to the point where kids are doing something that we can't understand what the motivation is. You talk to kids why they did this, why they did that, and they can't explain it to you because one, they might be six, seven years old and they don't have that mental capacity or that maturity to understand why they're doing it. So you look at what are they participating in at that time? Well, in my experience, kids are playing video games all the time. so. People go right to the video games and say, this is the reason why the kids are acting this way. This is an adult thinking as an adult, not as a kid who has a very, very different psychological development at this, at this time. Yes, video games may play a role, but it's not the main reason why the kid is doing it. It may be something where they're mimicking, where they're seeing what's on the video game and they're trying to solve problems within their life based on what they know, what they see. But adults don't necessarily take the time to dive deeper and figure out what's going on. So I will equate today's video games to what people were probably thinking back then as adults versus kids or younger people in the late 70s or ladies with panic and that type of thing. It's a way for adults trying to explain and come to an understanding of something where children are involved and they're just trying to come and make sense of what's happening at that time. And it's very convenient because it's in the media. Today when we see things in the media, we're, we're a social media society right now. People just, what's the flavor of the month right now and what's something that we could blame or what we could latch on to to try and explain what's going on. Adam and Andy, uh, you guys both have younger younger kids at this point. Do you agree kind of what he's saying? I mean, what's your, what's your impression? Uh, insofar as video games or games themselves influencing how kids act or act out, or does it does it contribute to possibly bad or antisocial behavior? Uh, if you ask me or my wife, you'll get different answers because there is definitely the impression in our household that the more sitting still and absorbing a screen our son does, the 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 less personable he becomes. Uh, maybe that's true, but then again, there's you know, the opposite. Why is he sitting still and watching a screen? Because he was overstimulated by something else, or he didn't sleep well. It, it, it feels, you know, there's a chicken or the egg question on whether or not the video games or the you know, YouTube videos or you know, whatever else he absorbs uh, came first, or it was the feeling that he needed to be soothed by this surrogate parent that you know we've all allowed TV to become in our lives. Mm-hmm. Or these days, uh, YouTube, TikTok. Etc. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd say we've always kind of struggled with the kids and screen time and like I feel like I grew up in the age of video game like when that became prevalent um growing up I, I don't know how many hours I lost playing Super Mario Brothers and, and and things like that and I think as kids you don't think anything of it that's what your friends are doing that's what you're talking about that's what people are interested in so to you it doesn't seem like oh I just sat there for six hours and, and didn't you know like it to you that's like well 
like what I got to level whatever right so <laughs> I've achieved my goal but yeah, as a parent you kind of look at that and like okay could they be using their time better how are we going to encourage those types of things are they going to you know like is it going to become a hassle or an argument or you know the problem where we've tried the you know we're going to take the device away and that just becomes a whole other issue so it's challenging but yeah, I don't know, like the larger issue of it, like, you know, I don't know when, what's, when, when it's too much, when it's, you know, when it's acceptable, how much you're supposed to watch it enforce what's being viewed or what games are being played. You know, we all want to have parameters for our kids, make them, you know, feel safe. And a lot of this too is like, but they, they you know, they need to have fun. They need to grow up. They need to have experiences. I, I struggle with like where the line is on that. And I probably let it go probably a little too far I would say because we give the kids a lot of freedom with their their devices so yeah I guess we'll have to see see what the long-term impact of that is on like this generation and and how they view the world uh well I wonder if there are parallels between now in video games and the early 80s and role-playing games or similar sit around instead of playing outside in the sun uh, activities because uh, I know your wife is very active and as somebody who's never been active and never plans to be you know I, I can look at that and admire but you know I don't encourage my kid to get outside I should I shouldn't admit <laughs> that either on a broadcast that'll be played in front of everyone including six people however the I wonder if there's parallels between that that panic and parenting at that time, modern parenting, and the same sort of thing. If more of what's what what has been driven, what drives things like satanic panic or moral, um, uh, you know, the um, the current moral panic. Yeah, thank you. Uh, the current moral panic um, is more driven by much more practical things like I can't get my kid out of the house uh, to go and play in the sun or to hang out with friends or to whatever. That is a very interesting topic about going outside versus staying inside. And I, I think it depends on where you live to help explain why that might be the case. And I say that because of safety of neighborhoods. And I think a lot of parents keeps their children inside more because they are afraid of if they had their children outside unsupervised, what's going to happen to them. So I think a lot of parents, because of safety and because of other things like that, they have their children stay inside more and more mm -hmm. because of that. And you have some other areas where kids and families live where you have more kids outside because it's deemed to be more safe so i think why are they inside playing why are they inside on video games they still want to connect with their friends so they're online playing the video games instead of being outside connecting with their friends in that capacity too so it's just an interesting interesting dynamic that you bring that up that's a very good i'm, I'm glad you said that because it, it does make a role and when i talk to kids um in my, where i work they, they 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 mention that a lot that yeah i i hung out with my friends all all weekend mm -hmm. oh yeah what did you do well we were online we were playing video games but they were playing with the friends they were connecting we just did something growing up a different way and this is where Dungeons and Dragons comes back in we were doing it in front of each other on the table even though we were priced to one side part of the time 
and we're in somebody's garage part of the time too. I mean, wherever you found a spot. For kids today, it just happens to be a screen and some other type of uh, mobile device or something like that in which they're making those connections. And parents feel comforted, I guess, because they know their child is safe within their own home. And that's part of why it's, uh, why we see more of it now, I think. I have a direct segue, actually. I was, I was Googling a quote just so I, because I, I hate to get my quotes wrong. Uh, you know, around this time, there was the movie The Breakfast Club, and Dungeons and Dragons has a brief mention. Uh, the uh, the nerd character admits to playing Dungeons and Dragons, and the bad boy character says, uh, you know, starts out sympathetic, but he has to fall back into character. He says, "Oh, well, then it's sort of social, right? Demented and sad, but social." <laughs> I don't know that it felt like it. it fed off of what you yeah, had to say there. Absolutely. So is Dungeons and Dragons demented and non-social? It's a little demented. It's a little demented, yeah, it absolutely is. But it's very social. Uh, you know, any anything my my sick way of thinking, anything <laughs> that goes down such a sideways in the fantasy land is a little demented. But that's the fun of it. There's nothing wrong with the word demented in this case. Um, yeah, Dr. Demento, I grew up listening to him on the radio. You know, that's, it's, 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 it's not a concept that scares me away. Dungeons and Dragons is just, you know, people think it's dark, whatever. You know, it's just, it's just fun. The whole tie back to Satanic Panic, um, and, and kids, thankfully my, my kids are in their 30s now, so uh, they're, they're gratefully, I'm so grateful to this day that they were largely adults before social media really took over everyone's lives. I have no idea how I would have gone through this with Facebook and Twitter and all the other nonsense being so popular. But I do sometimes, I still once in a while go on Facebook, and I do go out there, now that I like a couple D&D things, it's taken, you know how Facebook got the AI going in the background, right, and it pulls up all kinds of weird ads <laughs> and, uh, and, and things. Um, Weird ads. Weird ads. Weird ads. <laughs> Weird ads and things. So, so... Now I lost my chain. <laughs> <laughs> I was going somewhere with this. Sorry. Oh. That's okay. That's the, okay. You're happy social that your media. kids were, were growing up prior to social now media. And now that you're on Facebook, Facebook AI, it opened your horizons to things that you wouldn't experience. And then I found five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a squirrel and a red mine I'll have to come back to it. I honestly, I can't get a grip on it. I was, uh, lordy, lordy, lordy. Well, I yeah. Bring, bring it in the or yeah. I was gonna make a point about kids, but I don't remember what it was. I'll come back to it. That's right. I'll leave this all in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look how confused the man is. See what my notions and rays does to you. I'm really confused. I'm so It's funny that um, Mike had mentioned uh, and um, Mike and, and uh, Adam and Andy and Jeff, everybody, uh, have all mentioned that uh, there's a um, there is a kind of a dark undertone or a, maybe a countercultural undertone but the, the interesting thing is how everybody reacted when you discussed 
the movie on uh, the um, dark, CBS. the CBS movie being available is it sounded like it was taboo to watch and everybody's eyes at the table lighted up and Mike was like, oh, I'm going to go find that um, because there's a certain um, safe danger to pursuing things like this or a controversy that isn't really going to get anybody in trouble, isn't you know counter to most people's uh, understanding of, of God's will, but definitely... Um, Seems a little frightening, scary, uh, almost like a, a you know, a moral haunted house. It's it's the flavor, the flavor of the month, flavor of the year. You know, you talk about satanic panic with the PRMC. I remember really picking back up on these kinds of things when uh, my daughter discovered Harry Potter, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden everyone was saying Harry Potter satanic, and, and and all that nonsense. You know, I read the first chapter and I just laughed like. What? Yeah, wh where are you guys finding all the evil in this stuff? I just, and it never even occurred to me to think that way. And when you talk about Dungeons and Dragons, I'm, I'm sure probably back in the 80s, this was a very similar now, and we're this kind of a, a, a topic with it. Parents always look for an excuse uh, to figure out things about their kids, what are their kids are doing, things that they don't agree with, and how to, to, to avoid things. I, I feel in the last how many decades, every few years, there is a new crisis that, I don't want to just blame parents, but maybe old people in general. <laughs> um, they look to find a crisis no matter what the case is. And, and this, this concept of D&D being satanic is so laughable to me, it would never even occur to me to think that. And the fact that we're having a conversation like this, I just find amusement in it. Because I've seen these kinds of conversations, these kind of topics, these themes come and go so often. There's, there's never anything behind it. Right. But you bring up something, and you brought it up too. How much of this is maybe uh, older people? I, I don't know yeah. if you can categorize people that way necessarily, but... Um, get off my lawn! Get off, <laughs> never crack it, get off my lawn! How much of it is fueled by the media, especially the news cycle? Yeah. Well, even then, in the uh, you know, yellow journalism and shock journalism have been truly a force in in media for for decades and you brought up the fact uh jeff number two that the uh cbs or the news stories that broke about i don't know if it's cbs but the news stories that broke about the missing teen fueled this and i think the media jumped onto that and kept it going the uh, early 80s equivalent of the trending topic and we see that a lot now with social media, Facebook, et cetera, fueling, you know, as soon as you click a little bit of an interest in, you know, some heartbreaking story, it starts throwing you more and more and more of it. And then you start thinking, my world is filled with these heartbreaking stories. It's a crisis. So I don't know if it's necessarily people are that way or our media is finding purchase that way. I think that there is something to be said certainly about the media. You know, I, I grew up watching shows like In Search of, right? Leonard Nimoy. Oh. That was the predecessor to the X-Files in a sense. You know, this, this buildup that there's more out there, there's all this hidden going on, there's all this, you know, uh, conspiracies and things like that. I, I lump this kind of topic into the same bucket as Pizzagate and all the other nonsense that revolve around our lives these days. It's, it's just people looking for looking for excuses, looking for a reason to justify their fears or their anger, their frustrations. Uh, but I do agree with you, the media, particularly in the last 20 years, feeds this. Social media is, is just gourmet time when it comes to these kind of concepts. That's where this stuff grows. Mm -hmm. 
I really have to agree and expound upon that a little. I've definitely just growing up in I'm just for a little bit of background for the listeners here, I'm about probably the age of everybody's kids here if they have kids. Uh, and but that gives me just a little bit of a different perspective on things, and I really <laughs> come on. Yes, I am old enough to be your father. So be it. <laughs> okay, but true. It is true. It is true. It is true. But that's the intriguing thing is I've found a lot more camaraderie and openness from everybody here because I do think we are kind of that like little collective of just just different countercultural individuals like one like little thing here one little thing there like while we don't all obsess over one individual thing like sports we find that in dnd and that's really clear that how brings us all back together because like we're all kind of i would assume missing a little part of ourselves and that's part of the fun here is like we really get to dig into that and be the heroes of our own story here yeah, you get to explore parts of yourself that you have to exclude from yourself in order to be the self that you've become. I, yeah, I can I can go back and and be little. I'm I'm, a, I'm relatively tall. I I could be a little character now. Take advantage of that. Now, as it happens, the little character likes to tinker the way I do, but <laughs> there are definitely differences, and I you know get to absorb that. I mean, that brings up a good point. What's it like to live as your characters in this fantasy world? You know, let's talk to the morally bankrupt, <laughs> morally compromised. Sorry, morally compromised. Oh, rogue sense. slash thief. rogue slash slash thief. Uh, always a halfling. My character is, um, and this is this is odd because I play I play a fair number of different different kinds of games and little video games and stuff like that. And when I play video games, I find myself always trying to do the kind of the nice thing. I'm like, oh no, then the princess isn't going to be able to to find the thing. So maybe I'll give her the mushroom or what. You know, I I I can't help but be normal Todd. And when we're playing this game, I get to look at what would not me do. What would not me do in this situation? And I, sometimes I forget, and I still do you know nice things. But my character does not do nice things. He's very self-absorbed and I try to keep that in mind every time I, 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 I get him out there and he's, he's, he's rather dumb uh, which is which is wonderful because um, I can just be a dumb self-absorbed character for a little bit and it reminds me of the times that the real me sometimes acts dumb and self-absorbed and it reminds me that my real life should never go down the path of my character so i love being able to play it because it helps me draw distinctions and definitely draws a dichotomy between those two different lives so i love playing my character he's awesome and he's mo mostly disliked by the other characters for good reason <laughs> for good reason but my character actually thinks your character is his best friend because your character is so opposed to him in every way, shape, and form, and corrects him all the time. And he thinks that level of attention just makes him <laughs> yeah, uh, just makes him your best friend because you're always paying attention to him. And as a paladin, that's morally, divinity, all driven and good. You're my pet project. I look at, <laughs> <laughs> and wherever I could come in to try to take you down a different path, I go that way. That's why I enjoy playing my character with your character, probably more than any other characters, the relationship that we have with that, because on level with the characters, yeah, we're butting heads sometimes, but we also support each other as well. Right. But 
on the individual friend level, if you will, we're having a great time with it. Yeah. Because it's fun and we're laughing and we're just enjoying it because of just the paradoxes that it brings up every so often and we just shake our heads and we're like, wow, that that was fun, but that was interesting. Let's see what happens next time too. Yeah, for me, I would say like the opportunity to play this character is more or less the opposite of what I am day to day. Like. You know, as, as Jeff has said, my guy walks around looking like a genie, dressed as a genie, shooting lightning bolts from his, you know, his wand or whatever, and making all these decisions and, you know, trying to get everyone to jump into battle and all that stuff. And that's like the polar opposite <laughs> of what I'm like, you know, and my wife will attest to it, too. Like, I'm, I'm the exact opposite. Like, I, I don't like to stand out. I don't like to have people be aware of my presence in a, in a lot of ways. So like, this gives me the opportunity to kind of strut around a little bit, I guess. Yeah. For me, I really have to say, it's kind of brought me out of my shell a little bit because working at like, I guess nine to five office job that many of us have either had or have similar experiences. I have to mask myself constantly there and just put on this over-assuming error of just professionality and by the end of the day that just wears me down. I just want to be my ADHD goobery self and just run around <laughs> and have some fun. I mean like my character's name is Colby Jack who's married to Pepper Jack. I'm obsessed with cheese collecting out things like broken puzzles and too many hats and I just get to go and through the countryside and just enjoy a little bit of adventure. Exactly. Plenty of hats. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess my, my personal experience uh, is sort of similar to where Adam was going, I think. Uh, once upon a time, uh, I was the opposite of risk-averse. I was the kid that was jumping off the top of the playground. Very rarely broke any bones or anything, but you know, I was always willing to take the risk and do the gymnastic thing that I just saw the super-trained athlete do. Or, you know, my mother tells stories about us watching, like, The Nutcracker and then spending the rest of the evening leaping off of couches, <laughs> uh, you know, in, in mimicry of the ballet. But then as I've, you know, as I've aged, as I've matured, if that's the, if that's an appropriate word for me, I've had to put aside my risk-taking behaviors because I'm responsible for various lives and, you know, property and, and so on. So it's sort of nice to be able to be back in a sandbox where you can just take the risk. Here's what we're going to do. And, you know, Actually, it's my job to assess risk and avoid risk and, you know, corral risk. I, I, I call myself a devotee of Murphy, the, <laughs> Murphy Murphy's Law. And, and Murphy's Law, part 12, is that Murphy was an optimist. But in Dungeons & Dragons, it doesn't really matter because all the risks are disposable. Right. You know, listening to you guys describe why you picked your characters, I can honestly say I need to go back to the drawing board. So this is the second time in the last week I've realized how little developed my character is. If I was going the route of trying to pick a character that acted more like me, I'm going to refer to Lord of the Rings again here, <laughs> I would have been Gimli. I would have been the guy that's <laughs> kind of drinking game. I mean, because that's, that's, that's more like me. So, you know, but I, I wanted to do something that's a little apart. Now, who doesn't want to be an elf? I mean, they're freaking perfect, right? But then I thought, okay, well, that's almost too easy to go full elf on this, you know, because, because, because elves are, I mean, look at the, look at the movies, read all the books, they're almost perfect. Well, that's ridiculous, right? So I'm thinking, so what's a good mix? Half elf, all right. 
you know, ranger. I love Aragorn, right? So I gotta be a ranger. But my character doesn't actually act like any of them because I just haven't given it enough thought yet, which I have been doing recently. And, you know, I'll come up with some uh, fun stuff next week. I am, I am woefully underdeveloped. Been listening to you guys gives me a heck of a lot more uh, of a challenge to uh, to pull something really different out of my. I don't use my cust my customer. I don't use my character as a separate character like you guys do. Right. And I need to do that. You never go full elf, man. Wish <laughs> <laughs> that elf here go back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For me, it's interesting. This podcast and Dungeons and Dragons are both doing something that is really unique for me. I am, I mean, I'll talk to anybody. I'll, I'll have a conversation, my wife hates it, I have conversa entire conversations for 20 minutes with strangers in the store. But to like get up in front of people and like talk or act or sing, you know, I, I admire, you know, you that can do that, you know, play instruments. I can't do that. I, I, uh, I freeze, to put it mildly. So it's nice, I get to kinda, if you're not familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, I'm the Dungeon Master, which means that these guys and girl play their characters, and I'm everything and everybody else. So I get to get up there and jump around, I get to make up silly skits, I get to be the crazy ranger, or the, the crazy druid who's singing Moon Lake. Don't forget the accents. Uh, and, and, the bad, and the bad accents. <laughs> And, you know, it's the same with the podcast, with me doing this moderation. I, I, a couple of years ago, I could have never done this. I would have just sit there and gone, <laughs> and that's how you would have heard. So I, I want to thank you guys for giving me this opportunity to jump around and act stupid, you know, a couple of times a month. I just think it came natural. <laughs> <laughs>